0: Matthew chapter 24, and we'll begin to read from the first verse. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? The disciples believed that the world was going to end. The Old Testament prophets taught them the world would end, and the Lord Jesus Christ confirmed it would end. And so the Lord Jesus is sitting here, and the disciples have come over to him, and they're eager for more details. Maybe what prompted them to quiz the Lord about his return was the fact that they were here on the Mount of Olives, the very same mountain that the Lord is going to return to. Surely these disciples must have known what the prophet Zechariah had written over 650 years before this. Speaking of that day, Zechariah wrote this, His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall be removed toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And so Jesus answers their question here from verse 5. And he says, Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See, ye be not troubled, for all these things must must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers' places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Jesus taught, Jesus believed, and Jesus led his disciples to believe that one day in the future there would come the end of this age, an end of an era when he would return to this earth again. And of course, this has been the hope for the church for the past 2,000 years. For example, I'm sure like many of you, I grew up in the Church of Ireland, and every Sunday as a congregation we recited the Apostles' Creed during the service. In its present form, the Apostles' Creed is dated no later than the 4th century, and it is full of biblical truth. And it clearly, clearly states that Jesus Christ is coming to judge the quick and the dead. All Christian churches take communion. 70 years ago, and Bertie mentioned the Lewis Revival, but 70 years ago, the, the, during the Lewis Revival, the Church of Scotland had communion season every six months, which lasted all weekend from Thursday morning right through to Monday morning. Other th- congregations take communion once a month. We take it here at the Lifeboat every single week, and we all do this to show the Lord's death till he come. That's what communion is all about. We remember the day our Lord shed his precious blood and died as our substitute so that we could be forgiven and cleansed from our sin. But it also reminds us that he will come again. That's what he said. And if the Bible teaches us anything, it teaches us that the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is coming back. The Bible is full of references about the coming of the Lord when he will burst open those clouds with mighty power and set up his kingdom here on earth in the New Testament. The second coming is taught in every single book. Matthew likens Christ as a bridegroom coming for his bride in the parable of the ten virgins. Mark, he writes, He cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Luke says, Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. John quotes Christ as saying, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. The book of Acts records the angels saying to the disciples at the ascension of Christ. They said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up you from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. First Corinthians speaks of the dead being raised. Philippians says, our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, sh- then shall we also appear with him in glory. First Thessalonians, of course, it contains the great rapture chapter. The word rapture, it comes from the Latin word raptus, which means to carry off. And of course it says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort ye one another with these words. And what a comfort it is to the sick and to the suffering, to the persecuted and bereaved believer amongst us this morning. How comforting to know that our Lord Jesus Christ is coming back, and we will join him and our loved ones in the glory, where there will be no more tears or death or sorrow or crying or pain. So be comforted this morning, child of God, because your Saviour is on his way. But if you're not saved this morning, friend, there is no comfort. Because when Christ does come back, it won't be to rescue you, it will be to reject you. In fact, Second Thessalonians says the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Titus says we are looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Saviour Our Jesus Christ. James says the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Jude says behold the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Revelation says behold he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. And friend on and on and on and on it goes until finally Jesus says in Revelation not once not twice not three times but four different times. Behold or surely I come quickly. One book after another, it reminds us of the future events concerning the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this highlights how important it is to implement the good advice that Prophet Amos gives us all when he says, prepare to meet thy God. I wonder this morning, friend, are you prepared to meet your God? Because he's coming back, you know. He's coming back. For hundreds of years, the hope of the church has always been in the prayer that Jesus taught us all to pray. He said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And, oh dear friend, that prayer which we all love and we all know so well will soon be answered. Despite the pessimism in the world and the weariness in the church today, it is far nearer being answered Right now than at any point in history. We are much nearer that climactic and glorious event when Christ is going to come back and set up his kingdom to rule and to reign than we ever were before. In fact, we're almost there. Now the great question the disciples asked that day was this. When are you going to come? You see, with all this talk of his second coming, they naturally wanted to know when it would happen. They wanted a specific date. Verse 3, when will be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Some of the cults, including the Jehovah's Witnesses, have predicted many dates, and these dates have all come and gone. But Jesus told the disciples here that there were no dates. Verse 36, but if that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But he did say there will be signs to look out for. So we will know when his coming is near, but we're not going to know the exact day or the hour of his coming. And he said in Luke's gospel, when these things or these signs begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Now to a certain degree, many of these signs have been with us for centuries. And Jesus said here in verse 8, that these signs are the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of birth pains. And just as a mother's contractions increase in frequency and intensity, the closer that she gets to giving birth, these signs also become more significant and more catastrophic the closer we get to the return of the Lord and the birth of the Millennium Kingdom and his thousand-year reign. So we're going to look here briefly this morning at a few of these signs right now. And, of course, the first sign we're to look for is deception. Verse 5. Jesus said, Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. That's what we have today. Thousands of demonically inspired false religions and cults. And yet, despite all the religion in this wicked world today, sin has never been more rampant and blatant and in your face. Sodomy parades our streets to celebrate that which God calls an abomination. So obviously religion cannot be the answer to the sin pandemic. False prophets are everywhere. False prophets oppose the true work of God. The Apostle Paul said, For such are false uh, apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no marvel." For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. You see, friends, Satan doesn't threaten the pulpit. Satan often stands in the pulpit and often masquerades as a pastor or a priest. There are many today who profess Christ, but they do not possess Christ. They say they believe in Christ, but they don't live for Christ. They say that they've entered the narrow gate, but they do not walk the narrow way. And that's exactly what we have today right across Ireland. Today, another gospel is being preached in many churches. It's called the gospel of easy believism. They urge their listeners to trust in Jesus, but there is no mention of repentance and judgment and hell. A Jesus that requires no repentance is not the Jesus of the Bible, because the Lord Jesus of the Bible says, except you repent, You shall perish. A counterfeit Jesus who preaches a counterfeit gospel can only yield a counterfeit salvation. And Satan is behind the deception. Jesus says, many shall come in my name. Those are the imposters in the pulpits. He says, many shall be deceived. That's the sinners in the pews. But not only the sinners, for Jesus also warned his followers. He said, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravening wolves, and ye shall know them by their fruits. Why would Jesus warn his people to beware of false prophets if there was no danger of us being deceived? You see, like the ancient Bereans who searched the Scriptures daily, we must test all things against Scripture, for Scripture is our only infallible barometer for truth. No true servant of God will say anything that contradicts the word of God. Another sign to look for is wars. Verses 6 and 7 says there will be wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. This carries with it the idea of allies fighting allies. And of course, this was fulfilled in the last century with not one but two world wars. For the first time, we had war which engulfed the whole world. And Jesus said, as we move towards the end... These wars would increase, and since the defeat of Hitler in 1945, we've had the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Falklands War, the Gulf War, the Iraq War, the Afghan War, and many other wars and conflicts in between. Right now, at this moment, Iran threatens Israel, China threatens Taiwan, Saudi Arabia attacks Yemen, and of course, Russia has invaded Ukraine. Many see this as the beginning of the fulfillment of, of the prophecy in Ezekiel of 38 and 39 when Russia joins forces with Islamic nations to attack and attempt to obliterate Israel. That's why treaties and organizations such as UN and EU and NATO will never bring permanent peace. The Bible says as long as the heart of man remains wicked and full of hatred with greed and lust for power, there's always going to be war. And as long as you remain in your sin, you will always be at war with God. You see, you love darkness, you hate the light. It's in your nature to rebel against God. But friend, it is a war that you cannot win. It is a war that you have already lost. Therefore, you need to be reconciled to God by being born again into the family of God. And this can only happen when you repent of your sin and trust in Christ as your own and personal Savior. Another sign will be disease. In the last days, verse 7 says there will be pestilences. Some of those pestilences include mumps, measles, measles rubella, polio, rabies, yellow fever, hepatitis virus, influenza virus, Crimea, Congo fever, swine flu, HIV, malaria. There's the hantavirus virus in Korea, Lassa virus in Africa, Mantupo virus in Bolivia, the Zika virus in the Caribbean, and dengue fever in Thailand. Then there's the Ebola virus, with a 90% mortality rate. Marburg virus, 90% mortality rate. The bird flu, with a 70% mortality rate. And of course, finally, thanks to the mainstream media and the one that no one is allowed to forget about, the coronavirus. Not with a 90% mortality rate, or even a 70% mortality rate, but with a mortality rate of something like 0.2% with the average age of death being around 83, higher than the United Kingdom life expectancy. But isn't it wonderful, Christian, that we don't need to fear any of that stuff? Because this morning we can embrace death, we can get excited about death, we can look forward to our death, to live as Christ, to die as gain for the Christian. Only the lost soul must fear death, because after death comes a judgment. Jesus says that all these pestilences mean that his return is very near. And therefore, we must get to grips with the most dangerous of all pestilences, the sin virus, with a 100% mortality rate. Yes, dear friend, the Bible says the soul that sinneth it shall die. And we must be prepared to die. The Bible says, wherefore as by one man, that was Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Sinner, the wages of your sin is death, and you will burn in hell for all eternity. But praise God, there is a vaccine for sin. The Bible says, as by one man's disobedience, again, that was Adam, many were made sinners. But so by the obedience of one, that's Christ, many shall be made righteous. Through Adam's sin, we all became separated from God and infected with sin, But through Christ's atoning sacrifice and his precious shed blood, many can be made right with God and forgiven of sin. Because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, will cleanse us from every sin. Another sign is in verse 7. It is earthquakes. Since 1900, there has been more than 10,000 strong earthquakes around the world. According to American TV channel NBC, the annual number of great earthquakes has tripled in the last decade with 16 major earthquakes per year. Some of those earthquakes happening under the sea have caused major devastation and loss of life due to tsunamis. As we've already seen, the last earthquake to take place will be east of Jerusalem when Christ returns to the Mount of Olives. Very interesting that a recent geographical survey in that area discovered a prominent fault line running east to west through the southern section of the Mount of Olives, exactly where Zechariah prophesied the mountain would split. So think about that for a second. Jesus actually put that fault line there when he created the world in preparation for his return to the world. Now, I don't know about you this morning, but that just blows my mind. Jesus also mentioned another sign here in verse 7. He says famine. I can remember when I was a school way back in 1983, the big push by Bob Geldof and Band-Aid to tackle famine in Ethiopia, and millions of pounds were raised to feed the world. But they didn't succeed in feeding the world, and that's because Jesus said that there would still be famines until his return. Every day, 25,000 people die of starvation. A little child dies of hunger every 10 seconds. And 9 million around the world die of hunger every year. Isn't it amazing how world governments can put plans in place to vaccinate every citizen four or five times against a virus, which according to their own statistics, we have a 99.8% chance of surviving. But they can't give a man a loaf of bread to prevent him from starving to death. Jesus rightly said in Matthew 26, you have the poor with you always. Because Jesus knew that world governments would never really care enough to seriously help the poor and starving. Not only did the Savior give us signs to look out for, but the apostles did as well. The Apostle Paul said there would be worldwide lawlessness. Writing to Timothy, he said that in the last days perilous times shall come. He said men would be lovers of their own selves, covetous and boasters, and proud and blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and holy, without natural affection, trucebreakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Paul was saying that this would characterize the last generation. It almost sounds as if we're re- reading today's newspaper or listening to the 10 o'clock news. The last generation will be pleasure orientated. They will be oblivious to these signs of the times. They will ignore the street preacher. They will laugh at the one who gives out the tracks and they will carry on as if the world will never end. The UK divorce rate is now 33%. Pornography is a multi-million pound industry on in a worldwide scale. It is intensifying and increasing as it seeks to satisfy the unnatural obsession of every pervert's desire, enslaving millions of sex addicts. In Westminster, one MP was caught watching porn on his phone. Another 53 are being investigated for sexual grievances. Drug and drink abuse, fornication and adultery continue to escalate to ever-increasing heights, bringing about the carnage of STDs. Friend, if we really want to bring an end to sexually transmitted disease, then all we have to do is to obey the Bible. Sexual relations inside a God-ordained marriage for one man and one woman for a lifetime will cure it all. But people think that they know better than God. And so they choose to jump out of one bed and into another bed or live together without being married. There are almost three million single-parent families in the United Kingdom And some adopted children are now being raised in sodomite atmosphere, sodomite homes, growing up, not ever knowing what it's like to have a mommy or a daddy. And that should break all of our hearts. Abortion is now out of control. In California, you can kill your baby before birth, during birth, and now after birth. In Ireland, 23,000 unborn babies have been aborted in the last three years. That's the equivalent of 900 classrooms of children. Over 3,000 children have perished in Northern Ireland since our wonderful British government forced an abortion here. And yet the church largely remains silent, wanting nothing to do with this terrible Holocaust. Northern Ireland, of course, As Bertie has mentioned, it goes to the polls on Thursday. Political parties who support the mutilation and murder of babies are asking you to vote for them. These same parties also supported legislation to criminalize Christians witnessing outside these death camps. We are in the bizarre situation now in Northern Ireland. It is legal to kill your baby, but it is illegal to persuade a mother to keep her baby. So we need to be careful who we vote for and who we transfer to on Thursday. There are parties that are pro-life. There are parties that are pro-death. Friends, don't walk away from the polling booth on Thursday with blood on your hand. But despite this total depravity and evil in the world today, there is mercy available. Mercy. So no matter the quantity of sin, no matter the type of sin, God will forgive. The repentant sinner. To benefit from his finished work on the cross, we must come to him, repent to him, and trust in him. The apostle Peter, he said that there would also be scoffers in the last days. He said, knowing this first, that there will be there will come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And we have those scoffers today. You'll meet them on the doors. They'll come up to you on the streets, scoffing and laughing and mocking and jeering with no respect for the things of God. When men curse at you, they they take your beautiful Savior's name in vain. They don't take the name of Buddha and Muhammad or Confucius. They don't take their name in vain. Why is that? Well, because Jesus Christ is still the greatest opposition the devil has. That's why. We had a woman come up to us on the streets one day demanding that we Christians should get off the streets. And of course, that's what the devil wants. The devil wants us off the streets. But the soldiers of Christ are going nowhere. I was preaching in Belfast one day and a woman walked past. I was just mentioning hell at the time. and, And she said, oh, that's not very loving. But of course, she was wrong. Because to warn people who are going to hell about hell is the most loving, compassionate, and caring thing that you could do for another human being. That's what Peter said would happen. He said that when you approach the end and all these signs are evident that Christ is near, then there would be scoffers who would say, everything is the same. Nothing has changed. He hasn't come back and he never will come back. But friend, he is coming back. We have seen from Scripture that he's coming back. Scripture prophesied over 300 times his first coming to Bethlehem and it prophesies over 380 times his second coming to the Mount of Olives. And the scripture also says he will return as a thief in the night. And the thief comes when he is least expected. Friend, every time we take communion, we say that he is coming. Every time we recite the Apostles' Creed, we say that he is coming. And every time we read God's word over and over and over again, it reminds us that he's coming back. He's coming. He's coming. And when he does come back, even some Christians will be caught caught by a surprise. Imagine that. Some of them won't want him to come back. You see, they've become far too comfortable, surrounded by the riches in this world. They've done nothing for him. But Jesus says here in verse 44, Be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. So friend, if you're not ready this morning, don't you think it's about time that you did get ready? For how shall ye escape if you neglect so great? Salvation. The Apostle John he warned us about the coming mark of the beast. In Revelation thirteen, he said he, he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and born, to receive a mark in the right hand and in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six six six. Six. Fifty years ago, no one really knew how this could be done, how it could happen. But now we all know. The vaccine passports at a cost of millions have shown us how easy this is going to be to implement. And what a waste of money that was. A company in Sweden has already developed the chip that will be inserted underneath the skin. This technology is sitting ready and waiting for the man of sin to introduce it. And yet some people ignore all these things. They refused to get ready, and it's madness. But in, despite everything, Jesus also said in the last days, there would be worldwide preaching. Verse 14, he said, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Just before the day of the Lord's return, the gospel will be preached for the first time throughout the whole world to every nation. In 1500 AD, just before the Glorious Reformation, the Bible had been printed in only 14 languages. Today, the full Bible is available in 704 languages. The New Testament is available in 1551 languages. And a total of 3,312 languages have access to at least one book of the Bible. And there is almost nowhere in the world now that you can't listen to the preaching of the gospel on either radio, TV, or internet. Modern technology has made it possible to preach to the whole world. In just one service, one preacher can reach more people than all the apostles and all the missionaries in the first 100 years of the church. By TV, radio, YouTube, Zoom, WhatsApp, Facebook, one person can reach more people than all the first century Christians put together worldwide evangelism and now no one will have any excuse on the day of judgment. No one, not one person will be able to say well no one told me Lord I never knew Lord but I'll tell you what the Lord will say to those same people he will say I never knew you depart from me ye that work iniquity. Another sign and this is my favorite is the regathering of the Jews, this wonderful and magnificent people chosen by God. The Egyptians couldn't destroy them. The Philistines couldn't destroy them. The Canaanites couldn't destroy them. The Assyrians couldn't destroy them. The Babylonians couldn't destroy them. The Romans couldn't destroy them. The Turks couldn't destroy them. The Crusaders couldn't destroy them. And then during the Second World War, Six million Jews were shot and gassed and starved and burnt by the Nazis. There just seemed to be no way back, no hope, no way to return. And yet God's precious word had always said that there would come a day when the Jews would be gathered from all over the world to return to their homeland. The prophet Jeremiah said, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries whither I have driven them, and will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. Ezekiel's vision of the valley of dry bones it prophesied the Jews returning physically to Israel and returning spiritually unto God himself. Jesus Christ said here, right here in verse 32, he said, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh or near." The fig tree has always been symbolic of Israel that budded and sprung forth her leaves in 1948 when the United Nations declared Israel as a state for the first time in 2,500 years. In 1922, the Jewish population in Palestine was just 84,000 people. But today in 2022, 100 years later, the Jewish population is now 7 million Those statistics are staggering. Now put that into contrast with Northern Ireland. We recently uh, celebrated our own centenary. And in the last 100 years, our population has only increased by just over half a million. Jeremiah and Ezekiel prophesied it in the Old Testament. Jesus prophesied it in the New Testament. The Jews have returned to their homeland, which means the Lord is about to return to this earth. The Jews are in the promised land today. But the question is this. Will you be in the land that God has promised to the believer in the future? Jesus said, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So will you be carried by the angels to a land where you will never grow old? A paradise beyond the clouds? Or will you lift your eyes in hell, being tormented in the flame? Finally, a sign will be the existence of the spirit of Antichrist. The Apostle John said that there are many Antichrists now, but the Apostle Paul said that near the end there would be the Antichrist, the man of sin who would be revealed and the son of perdition. I think it was Spurgeon who once said that if you took all the evidence of the Antichrist from Scripture, and brought it to Scotland Yard, they would immediately go to the Vatican and arrest the Pope. All the Reformers believe the same thing. But the identity of the Antichrist is a sermon, if not a series in itself. However, there is a little verse here in Daniel 11, verse 37, about the Antichrist that is very interesting. And this is what it says. Neither shall he regard the God of his father's, nor have the desire of women. The Antichrist showing no regard for the desire of women could indicate indicate that he might be celibate, just like the Pope, or it could mean he is a sodomy. If so, then what if the worldwide rise in acceptance and promotion of sodomy with all its filthy tentacles in every aspect of 21st century society what if that is actually happening right now to pave the way and lay the foundation for the imminent rise of a sodomite antichrist? You see, if a homosexual antichrist had risen just 100 years ago, he would have been rejected. But now, now he would be adored and loved and praised and embraced and honored and worshiped. If this is the case, then obviously sodomy is important to the devil's plans. This is his strategy, so he must protect it. He must defend it and attack those who speak out against it. Christian politicians who have spoken out against sodomy have fallen into sin soon after. At the same time, Christian politicians who should have known better and should have spoken out against it, but didn't, they have been chastised by God within days. You see, God's watchmen have a responsibility to sound the alarm. His ambassadors and soldiers must be on a constant war footing to be courageous, to speak boldly, to glorify in tribulation and have called upon to do so, embrace death in the cause of Jesus Christ. We will be attacked. I'll be attacked after this message, you better believe it. So prayer is needed. And friend, pray for those who are caught up in this awful curse of Sodomy because they're just... Poor, blinded victims of the devil, as we once were as well. But now, praise God, we are washed, we are sanctified, and we are justified. A man phoned into a national secular radio station recently, and he suggested that a certain individual that is rarely out of the news these days was actually the devil in disguise, that he reminded him of the Antichrist because he had just appeared out of nowhere onto the world stage. The radio show host then suggested that, well, perhaps perhaps he's not the devil. Perhaps he's the opposite of the devil. Perhaps he's going to be the savior of all things. You see, even the ungodly are now looking for, expecting and hoping for a man to rise up and take control. But when he does come, this will only set the stage for Christ's return to the earth. And what a glorious day that will be for his people. Dear brother and sister, do not despair, but rather rejoice this morning. You see, God has a plan. Much of it is written in in this book, and everything going on right now is fulfilling every single detail. And friends, you are included in his plan this morning. God has a program that Biden and Trudeau and Macron and even the devil himself cannot alter. That plan is that Christ will return. He will rule, he will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords and his kingdom will have no end. And if you're saved this morning, you're going to be part of that kingdom and you are going to live as as long as God lives. But for those who reject Christ, it will be a terrible time of judgment and punishment and torment and darkness and loneliness and separation. A time of fire and weeping and wailing in hell. But the Bible says that you don't have to go there. Oh, you deserve to go there. We all deserve to go there. But because of the mercy of God, no one needs to go there. If you're not saved, you're actually on your way there already. To go there, you don't have to do anything. You just have to keep on doing what you're doing now. But friend, I want to tell you this morning that God has sent you a Savior. And if you want to be rescued, then the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of that Savior shall be saved. So don't get caught out. But get caught up when the Lord returns. Decide for Christ right now. It'll be the best decision that you'll ever make. Christ says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I want to finish with a poem by Robert G. Watson from Lisburn. He writes, signs now happening tell me Jesus will soon come and take his true Christians to their heavenly home, caught up together after the saints who've gone before to meet our dear Lord whom we all adore. If you are not one of that number who are ready to go, but would be left down here in your sin and your woe, repent now and be ready for that wonderful day when the saints of this earth are all gone away. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you this morning that you're coming back to this earth. Lord, when we look out on this wicked world today and we've been reminded of some of the wickedness this morning, Lord, we thank you that you haven't abdicated your throne. You're still very much on your throne and everything that's going on is, it hasn't caught you by surprise. And so, Father, we do pray this morning for the unborn child. We do pray this morning for the teenager, the young person that's caught up in the curse of sodomy. We pray, Lord, for every loved one um, uh, belonging to us today that are still in their sin outside of Christ. May they realize, Lord, that we are in the last of the last days and how important it is to get right with God. We pray, Lord, that uh, if there's any in our meeting this morning or anyone even listening online, that they'll realize that time is almost up and they must get right with God. At any moment you could return. And Lord, we pray that uh, our loved ones will call upon your name. We do love you, Lord, and we thank you that many of us here this morning belong to you. And we wouldn't have it any other way. We know that what you've given us is 10,000 times better than anything the world could offer. And we've got so much to look forward to. To live is Christ. But to die is most certain again. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.